The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. The long-awaited return of the Rebels is here. P. Nate and Pooty, <laughs> Garage Mahal, Dave on some dials. It's all popping off. All popping off. It's good. It's, I love how uh, popping off is taking off. Um, well, you say it now and everybody at the church knows what you're talking about. I, I everybody do just kind of laughs at you. But yeah. Hey, I'm fine with it. it. Apparently, it's hip with the kids. I Now that I'm doing youth at sometimes at the church, I say tonight's going to pop off. And all the kids are like, it is going to pop off. And I'm like, apparently it's something that the children say. And I'm just a man child. Is it like when you were talking about how thirsty you were one time and they're all kind of actually laughing at you because thirsty means something very different to teenage culture than it does to old men like us? Probably. Um, Just checking. Just checking. At at this point, I'm blissfully unaware. Um, So as long as I (laughs) remain unaware. from the church who are listening, um, don't burst Chris's bubble. Please, just let it it go. Just let it go. I feel like a little subdued today. Can I point that out? It's rainy. Well, we had a beautiful week in terms of weather and stuff like that. And then like, it's like since Easter, right, which was a week and a bit ago, it's just been beautiful weather. So we've been a bit spoiled, but this is like typically what it is. Like cold and rainy is pretty much what April's like in in Canada. Let's be honest. That is true. I always find it funny that in April we have winter to summer, back back to to spring and then back to winter. Like it, it just keeps changing around and eventually we land on summer. Spring no longer exists. Global warming, apparently it's a thing. No, I'm just um, <laughs> Jokes, jokes before I get emails about the fact that the world is Jared flat. is I mean. literally <laughs> typing out an email to you right now. Um, yeah, so we're the Rebels. I uh, haven't been around for a little while. Easter's busy at churches. What can I say? But the plague went through. Like, pl- yeah, we had well, the you got the plague. I was then, fine, but you well, did get the plague. That's because you have good blood. I'm on the blood train still. Um, you have good blood. I have bad blood. Bloodlines? Are we yeah. going there? Yeah. <laughs> Nephilim bloodlines? Is that what you want to talk That's about? That's right. You're, you have pure blood. And I'm corrupted by the occult, apparently. No. Oh, boy. Wow. Jokes again. <laughs> Not for real. Yeah. Set the keyboard down. Uh, okay, so we're the Rebels. We're back. Uh, you can find us on uh, any podcast catcher. Just look for the Rebel Podcast. Uh, or you can uh, subscribe if you want to get back to the show uh, at uh, patreon.com slash reformedrebel. Um, but the best way is to actually just be a Fight, Laugh, Feast uh, club member and uh, support the entire network and to listen to our episodes on the Fight, Laugh, Feast app, which we hope you're doing right now. All right. We've actually been asked to talk about these two issues. So we've had some people reach out to us. We, we did a Q&A episode. I think it was that the last one that went out. I can't remember. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We were told it was. 
with that, there were a few personal messages and things. We were asked to wade into sort of the, the Gary DeMar controversy that's been going on. I think we touched on it a little bit in the, in the Q&A episode, but we did say we'd do something more full with that. And uh, we've been asked to talk about um, worship music because this has come up. It's actually come up at our church several times. And obviously this podcast is primarily for our people. And uh, we hope that it uh, reaches farther and wider and blesses other people. But we are called to shepherd our own people first. And so we want to talk about that as well. So I guess I guess we're kind of doing two sort of rebels wade into controversy type episodes. Let's talk about worship first. You want to talk about worship first, Chris? Yeah, that that's the less complex issue, I think. <laughs> yeah, and and quite frankly, it's not that we are not wanting to wade into. So what we'll end up doing maybe next time is is just do an episode on full preterism and why we reject it because as it stands right now, there hasn't been a whole lot more clarity given by Gary DeMar. So we've both listened to some of the things that he's said that has sparked some of the controversy. And interestingly, even the letter that was written to Gary DeMar and, and things like that from some friends and some, from some supporters of American Vision, we're asking for clarity because it's not like he's come out and said he's full preterist yet. He's just asked some questions that have caused some concern. So that's kind of where we are as of the day we're recording. So we'll see if some clarity comes out between now and then, but that, we'll probably just end up doing an episode on full preterism next time. But um, let's talk today about worship music. In terms of high level, you and I believe that the praise and music worship in a service, right? So the worship service is all of it. It includes the confession, the liturgy, the call to worship, the preaching, the, the giving. All of that stuff is, is what we call the worship service. Yes. The, so we don't, like, the worship time is not merely the singing. That would be the praise time, which is a, a, an important piece of the worship service. Yep. But it's not worship. Worship is whole lifestyle, the whole, it's a whole worship service, we get all that. So the praise music time of the worship service, you and I are on the same page in this. We, we would look to Colossians, we'd look to Ephesians, we would say we are, we are called to bring psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the worship service. And you and I, I think, would understand that similarly. The psalms are the inspired songbook of the, of the church. They are inspired battle hymns, if you will. And so we are to sing them. We are commanded to sing them. But we're not commanded to sing them exclusively, right? We aren't to be psalm exclusive. And I think the reason for that is because I think uh, it was Jody Killingsworth from uh, My Soul Among Lions. We had him on the podcast. It seems eons ago. Uh, he made a really good point that I thought was just really succinct. There are other reasons not to be psalm exclusive, but he just said, if you were psalm exclusive, you would literally never sing the name of Jesus. And we ought to sing the name of Jesus and rejoice in this, uh, the name of Jesus. So psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are what we're commanded to bring as we gather together. The hymns are the, the tried and tested lasting music that, uh, that spans generations, if you will. So we can sing A Mighty Fortress, right? Penned by Martin Luther in the, the throes of the Protestant Reformation. And, and faithful brothers and sisters have sung that song throughout the generations since the Protestant Reformation. That has lasted, it's tried, it's tested. Yeah, and there's and a it, beauty in that, right? Yeah, like, and there's something powerful about singing something that has been sung by previous faithful generations on whose shoulders we're standing. And then I think, and this is where maybe we, we, we divert from some other people's understandings, but I understand spiritual songs. When you think of what the Spirit is and the, the subjectivity of the Spirit's work within the heart of a believer, I believe that spiritual songs are referring to songs that arise within a body of believers for the time in which they're living. So songs that are literally written by the artists and the poets and the, and the pastors and, and whatever— within a local church 
for the time in which they live, because it's different living now than it was living during the Protestant Reformation. So God will inspire different songs, and they're not inspired in the same way the Psalms are inspired, but I do believe that the Spirit of God continues to work and people can write songs for the time in which they live. Are we on the same page? 100%. Okay. So End of the episode. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. That's um, okay, so now the controversy arises that not all local churches have the personnel or are equipped or have the volunteers with the time to actually write Christian music for their own worship liturgy. So then the question becomes, well, what songs do they use? And the songs that many use are the Redmonds of the world, the Chris Tomlins of the world, the Hill songs of the world, and therein lies the problem. You said the H word. (laughs) The H word. So this is how the question often gets posed to us is why would a faithful church like ours, and, and I believe we're faithful, who cares about theology, that cares about rigor, that cares about you know proper doctrine, sing Hillsong songs? So Chris, you get asked this question more than anybody because you're the guy. You're the guy who picks them, you heretic. <laughs> I get asked <laughs> this the question other H-word. every week. There's multi reasons why I would still sing some Hillsong songs. I would like to preface that we don't sing every song any artist does. So first and foremost, we're, we're selective with the, with even, even in songs that um, like by Hillsong, we don't sing just because Hillsong wrote it. We sing. How many Hillsong songs songs do we even sing? Like two or three? No, it's like seven out of like 110 songs that we have in our songbook. Right. Like even those, the most of them are fairly like, we're generally about five or six years behind what's new right. in, in the things. We're talking like King of Kings. Yeah, King <laughs> right. of Kings. Oh, praise the name. Right, uh, right, right. Th- yeah. Mighty to Save, which is a oldie but oh, a goodie. That, I love um, that song. My Redeemer Lives, we sing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, off the top of my head, those yeah, ones. Those um, ones yeah. But pre- we, Dave just yelled out <laughs> Oceans. If you heard not that, true. that is <laughs> not true. categorically <laughs> false. That is a lie straight I categorically from the deny. Uh, <laughs> In my car, maybe. Um, (laughs) We are very selective with the songs we sing, even from Hillsong. But that's not because it's from Hillsong. It's because we're very selective with the lyrics we sing from anyone. Right. Whether it's Fanny Crosby or, you know, Hillsong. Exactly. And so that's kind of the point I'm driving at is that we don't participate in cancel culture at our church. We would actually say that's not a healthy thing. We're going to talk about that probably next week a little bit when we talk about... Gary DeMar. Gary DeMar and some of the dangers there. But we just simply don't play cancel culture. So when we get a song and somebody submits a song to us, oftentimes it is the worship leaders that come across a song that fits a season. Or somebody in their small group says, hey, what about this song? Yeah, check out the song or whatever. Um, And sometimes they're Hillsong. But we judge all of those songs based on the lyrical content of them, even before we've listened to the melody of the song. We have uh, myself... You do it oftentimes, and sometimes it's a collective love, you, me, and my and the worship like leaders in our church to sit down and just go over the lyrics and do these affirm what we teach at the church? Do these yeah. affirm are the doctrines biblical? of grace? Are Where these does biblical? it come from? Yeah. Exactly. And we're also fairly ruthless with it. Even if there is a lyric in the song and where we would affirm 99% of it, but there's one line that doesn't, like I'll use an example, uh, what a beautiful name. There's a, yeah. lyric, there's a line in that song that we didn't like, and so we just don't sing the song. There's enough songs out there. That's kind of the first high level. We don't play cancel culture. It's not about who wrote the song because you said it. The only inspired songbook is the Psalms, which means every hymn and every other Christian song, even if it's not written by Hillsong, is fallible. Yeah. Just like the creeds and confessions that we hold very dear yeah. are fallible. The table of content in your Bible 
fallible. Definitely because the subheadings in subheading. your Bible. I, absolutely. Yeah. All fallible because they're, they're all made by man. Now, just because they're fallible doesn't mean that they're, that they're, they're not, not true and yeah. they're not authentic and they're not right. And so when we're, when we're picking Hillsong songs or when we're picking any song, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for lyrics that we would say yes and amen to. And so King of Kings is a perfect song. I can, with a complete clear conscience, belt out King of Kings whenever we sing it in the, in the church. And I do. I have no problem singing it because I'm not thinking about the fact that it's written by Hillsong. I'm thinking about the fact that it's glorifying the King of Kings. Right. Now, some people will say that they can't separate then the authorship from the lyrics of the song or that I think a poor argument is that the lyrics are in some way tainted by. Yeah. I'll um, play devil's advocate in a minute. Him, so him, just, him. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can do it now. So let me play devil's advocate for a little bit, Chris. Love it. So you don't affirm Hillsong's ministry. Not at all. Okay. Then just why? Like I, just then, like I wouldn't like any church that I don't attend. I would, I, I wouldn't say if I, I unanimously affirm any church that I don't know their, like I don't go there. So I can't speak to their, right. But, but I would say that you have a different relationship with like Trinity Bible Chapel, 100%. right? Than you do with <laughs> North Park. Like, yeah, the community Pe- church. Yeah, the you know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Like, so, so you would affirm more. Yeah. But, but I would say if you don't affirm the ministry that's happening at, at Hillsong, then why would you support their ministry financially by singing their songs on Sunday morning? Yeah, so again, that, that's just one of those misnomers about what's happening in. I can't speak for the States. It might be different in, in the U.S. And, and Australia and whatnot. In Canada, when I pay for our service to get the lyrics, I'm not even going to say what service we use, to get the song sheets and all that stuff, we're paying a flat fee that's divided equally between everybody that's on there anyway. Now, yes, they do a percentage like the more people who subscribe, the bigger the church you are, the more we pay, all that stuff. But individually, I'm not paying an artist Every time I sing their song, I'm paying that artist. I'm not paying the artist at all. I'm paying the the company a right. flat fee. Similar, and, and, and I, does that company know what songs we sing on a Sunday morning? No, because I don't report it. Right. In no way, shape, or form am I obligated to report it. Now, I know if anybody who's hip to the worship scene knows, oh, you're supposed to. No, no, they actually give you an option to say I I refuse to report, which yeah. I which I choose. Refuse to report sounds like it's more yeah, aggressive. You, you can just, just you can just unclick that. I say, it's no, like I'm not how you doing can that. unsubscribe to newsletters when you go and shop at the Gap or whatever, and they're like, <laughs> "Sign up for our newsletter." You're like, "Yeah, absolutely." No. The only thing I'm obligated to tell them is a rough ballpark between like attendees, you know, exactly, so that I'm not trying to get I'm not getting a program where I'm not paying for the the size and volume of my church, which I have a different issue with too. So, but like, I'm not paying them a flat fee to Hillsong, but I would even say, even if we were, I wouldn't stop doing what we're doing. Similarly, because like I pay taxes to my government who is actively funding abortion in many countries. I'm not beholden to their sin. I'm beholden to what I'm commanded to do. And if I pay, if I gave you 10 bucks and you spent $9 on alcohol and then Donated what am I dollar. buying for $9 I don't know. of I don't know, man. I'm buying I one know. beer, Chris. Come on, get real. Get yeah, real. Yeah, 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 one Bud Light. Light. Tall boy yeah. Bud Light. That's okay. true for Dave. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and, and not at the ballpark either. Um, yeah. No, no, but that's a, that's a good point. And I would just say, 
as a biblical example of that, when Jesus pulls the, the coins out of the, the fish's mouth to pay the temple tax for him and Peter, he actually says that he ought not to pay temple tax, but he says, go ahead and pay it. And that temple tax was actually going to fund a system, a religious system that Jesus would condemn when he cleansed the temple and called down destruction and prophesied the destruction of the temple. So, so Jesus seemed to be able to separate the taxes that were owed to the political system in which they were living and what, it, how it was used by that system. Yeah, that would be another reason why I'm not too concerned about like the financial um, side of it. The, another another reason I don't play cancel culture with the with the music as well is that I think Christians need to be consistent in what they're doing. Yeah, so if I'm playing cancel culture with Hillsong specifically, I have to do that with the hymns and I have to do that with probably the Psalms too because they're written by a guy who in scripture we know he committed murder, he committed adultery. None of this is written by sinless people. Right. If we go through some of the, the hymns that we hold very dear, yeah. here's a really high level example. It is well with my soul. The gentleman who wrote that song was on a ship, his, his family, uh, to go to see his wife after his family had drowned on a, on a ship. He penned that song, but down the road, he became basically a cult leader. I don't know another, a nicer way to say that. And actually thought at the end of his life that he was the Messiah himself. That's a pretty far deviation from orthodoxy, I would say, to the point where like, if we're playing the cancel culture game, I should cancel everything he ever touched. Because I don't know where his heart was at yeah. at that point, so I would have to cancel everything. There's there's a particular you know, translation of the Bible, and quite frankly, you know, we're not not saying the names uh, for, for any secrecy. We're just not saying the names because we don't want to we don't want to condone cancel culture. Because there will be some people who listen to this who disagree with the stance that we've taken or how we go about doing this, who might be tempted to, to then cancel. And we don't want that to happen. But there's a very popular Bible translation that has a study Bible. And uh, one of the guys who is uh, heavily involved in the New Testament translation and the study notes that accompany that, that particular study Bible uh, is literally in prison right now for child pornography and pedophilia. Yeah. And so you're like... Is that entire Bible translation tainted? Is that are the study notes in that Bible? He was one of seventeen guys on the New Testament study note and translation board. Is that entire thing tainted? Should people go and throw that particular translation or that particular study Bible out because of that? I think this is in some ways failing to trust that God can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick, which we see His ability to do throughout Scripture. Right. So I would just even jump in on that because. Even though we're we're a reform podcast, I'm gonna get myself in trouble here by, like we have like we, we have this like people. tendency to think that we're the straight stick. Hillsong's the crooked stick, and I think they are. Don't get me wrong. Like from my perspective, they're crooked strict. I think they need a lot of work, and I think that like bear in mind, Hillsong's a denomination as well. So I'm, yeah. I'm speaking it varies from about, like, people exactly. could say that about the alliance too, and I think we're a pretty faithful church. Hundred percent. There is that like arrogance that we have of like we've got this all this all right, and that. Why shouldn't we use a, like, if we had the choice between using a crooked stick and a straight stick, use the straight stick? Absolutely. But like every song I'm judging as if it's a straight stick or a crooked stick, I'm not asking you to go saying, you know, oceans, like Dave, Dave said, I'm not, I'm not campaigning that that should be a, a worship song that's sung universally in our churches. I would say no. Reckless Love is another song that gets thrown up up all the time. We don't sing that under church. Why? Because I think it's a reckless song. You know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> well done. But <laughs> Thank you. I wouldn't write off. I don't know the, even the guy's name, like totally who wrote that song. Right. Cause he might write a song that I'm like, yes. And amen to everything right. he said. And so 
It doesn't, his authorship of the song doesn't change. There's, there's actually a, a heresy that was dealt with in the 400s that this is all, this is the same argument. And it was, the argument was, and smarter people than me will know the, what this controversy was. It was people were baptized and then the people who did the baptizing, the people who performed the ceremony went heretic. So then the controversy came up was, is that person's baptism then invalid because of the fact that they were baptized by somebody who went apostate after the fact. And people debated this like legitimately. I think most people who are listening to me right now would be like, well, of course not. It has nothing to do with the person who does the baptizing. It has to do with the heart condition of the person who's being baptized. And so I would say like to liken that to the worship thing, I think we would be doing a disservice to the people like say um, Brooke Ledgerwood, who most of the Hillsong songs we sing are generally written by her. I don't know her heart. I have no idea if she's saved or not saved. I'm not going to know that till I'm in glory. What I've seen of her in terms of like the song she writes, the lyrics she writes, doesn't seem like somebody who is far from the Lord. You know, it seems like somebody who's very a believer. Like, right. And so I would say just because she goes to a church that we would say we don't affirm, I wouldn't say that everybody in that church is of the occult or... Okay, to be untrusted. You, you just brought up another point, so I'll play devil's advocate in just a minute. But I, th- I think you're talking about Marcionism, right? And the idea that uh, I think it was, I think I, I my, it's been a while since I've taken a church history course, but I think it was Tertullian wrote against Marcion, and uh, the whole idea was that once Marcionism was declared a heresy, the question became, what about those that were baptized under, but, under that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. So uh, you just brought up the occult. So since <laughs> since you brought it up, Chris, my second devil's advocate question is: What about the influences of so like so you look at like Bethel, right? Which we would say is is probably even further down the uh, the apostasy line than Hillsong, and some of their name it and claim it. I, somebody uh, recently sent me something that they they're doing like grave soaking or like soaking graves or something like that to identify with the death of Christ or something like. There there's some crazy stuff going on, right? So number one, that's crazy, Chris. Absolutely, it is. And that seems occultic, Chris. Yeah. You're supposed so to say, yeah, I, it does a little it bit. Does, it does, it does. I'm <laughs> then, I, was laughing, I, say, I was laughing. So then, yeah. if you allow Bethel music into your church, are you not compromising and allowing an, an occultic influence infiltrate your church? Simply, no. Um, but let me, let <laughs> me also, over. again, let me, let me again, I'll push back on the, on the, even, the on, on, on even the accusation. So does anybody in your church wear brands when they come to church? Does anybody in your church carry Starbucks into your church? Does anybody in your church come in with a Christmas tree? How about Easter celebrations? Like, when do we stop playing the game where we're going to let culture influence our church? Because it's every, it's rampant, in, not in terms of influencing, but Starbucks is, you know, their symbol is tied to the Illuminati or whatever. Like, what, ga- like what game are we playing here where we start to what go part down of these? That? What dark part of the internet are you on, Chris? <laughs> Starbucks, the occult? Come on. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I've heard it. I've heard it. But like, the, the, my, my point there is like, again, when do we stop playing the cancel game based on ties to, so, to, to something? Yeah. And I'm not saying if, if it came out categorically that like, you know, I don't, what's the guy in Belton, Bill Johnson or whatever was like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a demon. We probably just <laughs> stopped singing the songs. Like, but I mean, like a lot of times we're, we're making a lot of assumptions based on very little information. doesn't even matter because here's the crux of the whole issue. Christianity is all about the redemption business. Yeah. So it doesn't matter 
what the guy who wrote the song thought about it. It matters right. what I think about it as I sing because God, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So if I'm singing King of Kings and I'm singing to the glory of Jesus Christ, there you go. praising yeah. his name because the lyrics edify and affirm what we teach from the pulpit in our church, it doesn't matter what yeah. whoever wrote it in Australia thought about the song because it doesn't change what I'm saying about it. Because you, know you know what the occult doesn't have? A hold on somebody who's saved. Yeah, that's right. Darkness has no dominion over yeah. my soul. So it doesn't matter if it was, and I'm not saying it is, I'm saying yeah. it wouldn't matter to me if it, if it was because of the simple fact that like it can't change how I'm, I, how my heart condition in, in singing the song. Now, and now, now so, I just want to inter interject for a second because you were talking about culture infiltrating the church and I think you made a good point. So I just want to, I, I want to flesh that out a bit just so we don't get ourselves into, I, I'm fine getting into trouble, but I don't want to get into trouble for not being understood. Clear. Yeah. There are some Christians who don't buy Starbucks coffee out of conviction because it's 100%. a woke company and all that kind of stuff. And we would just say that's a Romans 14 issue in terms of the conscience of an individual Christian. Absolutely. For those Christians to whom it would violate their conscience to buy a Starbucks because they don't want to give their money to a woke company ought not to buy Starbucks because to, to violate your conscience, as Martin Luther says, is, is not advised. It's dangerous, right? It's against scripture and it's dangerous. But there are Christians who will still buy a Starbucks coffee and their conscience isn't pricked by that. I think those are some of the, that, that like we do have freedom in Christ for those kinds of conscience issues. And here's what I would say in terms of you're, you're making a big claim here that a church that might be tainted can write a song and we can use that song and not be tainted by, by it. But I think you're right. It's a big claim, but here's, here's what I would say about that. Paul goes one step further. You know, a song that may or may not have been written by somebody who is under the influence of the occult. Let's just make this as bad as possible. All right. Let's just say Bethel Bethel is completely compromised. It's being run by demons. And they've made a couple of, of, of songs that have been influenced by that occultism. Like, first of all, that's a pretty far stretch because I, I would personally say, though I think that the church is actually apostate and is doing some some awful things. Bethel. Bethel. Yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm talking and about I, Bethel. I agree Bethel and Hillsong are, are two different sides of the coin, but I'm using, I'm intentionally using the harder one, sure. you know, to make a point here. Let's just say that that's true. I think it's a very hard case to make that Bethel is intentionally occultic and trying to infiltrate the church. I think at the end of the day, they believe they're Christians and they have very bad teaching, whether or not they've been influenced by bad things or what, you know what I mean? But here's my point is that Paul makes it even harder than that. Paul literally says, look, you're buying meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And he says, and in case you're tempted in thinking otherwise, Paul even says, we know that in sacrificing them to idols, they're actually sacrificing them to demons. So Paul literally says, there's meat that has been offered to demons, real demons, not fake demons, not like some wooden idol, legitimate fallen angels. And this meat has been offered to them in pagan, idolatrous worship. And Paul says, the stronger believer is going to eat the meat. <laughs> like, that's literally what he says. The stronger believer can eat the meat because he can laugh in the face of the demonic principalities and say, my God made the cow that made this meat. So, you know, flip him the bird. Now, obviously, I'm being intentionally uh, a little bit flippant about the whole thing. But, but that's what Paul says. He actually says, now, he does say, if it's going to cause your brother to stumble, then you ought to be willing to actually give up meat entirely. But he actually calls the, the brother who thinks that it's wrong to eat that meat the weaker of the two brothers. So, so here's a principle. And 
this is, so I don't want to just talk about what we do. I want to actually back this up with scripture. And so I want to go to, to Mark chapter five and just for the time of this episode, cause we don't want to be like too long. Um, but in Mark chapter five, uh, you get a couple of, of stories here. First of all, you see that Jesus, he heals the demoniac in uh, the Gentile region. And then when he comes back to the other side, to essentially the, the, the synagogues and Jewish uh, territory, uh, he comes back and there's two stories of healing. He's immediately found by the ruler of a synagogue, Jairus, and he has a daughter who's sick. And so Jesus is going to heal Jairus's daughter. And on the way, he gets stopped. And he gets stopped by a woman with an issue of blood. So this woman has an issue of blood. She's literally bleeding, right? There's something wrong with her menstrual cycle. And she is, she's bleeding and has been for years, it says. Actually, I think it says uh, 12 years, doesn't it? It says that somewhere, right? And yeah, because the, the daughter's 12 years old as well. So um, Mark is clearly trying to get us to contrast Jairus's daughter, who's 12 years old, with this woman who had 12 years of, of essentially death with the issue of blood. Now, what you have to remember is that this woman with the issue of blood, she would be considered ceremonially unclean. She would not be allowed in synagogue. She would not be allowed in the temple. She would not be allowed to any of the festivals, the worship festivals and the high feasts of, of Jewish culture, any of that kind of stuff. So basically for 12 years... She, she would have been effectively quarantined that's right. completely for that's her right. entire she life. Would have been, that's right. She would have been quarantined from anybody because if she comes in contact with anyone or anything, it becomes unclean. Yeah. There's that uh, passage in... In Haggai, when uh, they're asked, you know, does uh, does something that's unclean when it touches something holy make the thing that is holy unclean? Yes. When something that is holy comes in contact with something that is unclean, does it make the unclean thing holy? No. Right. And and because that's what was true of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant leprosy spread, uncleanness spread, death spread. That's why you couldn't touch a dead body. You couldn't touch uh, a leper. You couldn't touch, right, without becoming unclean. That's why women, even during their menstrual cycles, they had to go out. They had to be separated from the family because their blood would taint the household, taint the meals, taint everything. And so here's this woman with this issue of blood. 12 years, she's unclean. 12 years, she's outside of the community of faith. 12 years, she's not in the presence of Yahweh because that was restricted to the temple at the time. And so what happens when she comes and she touches Jesus and it says immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Verse 30, and Jesus, listen to this, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And then it was interesting because the disciples are kind of like, well, everybody's touched you. What was different here? Well, what was different? We were just told what was different. He perceived that power had come out from him. And it says he looks around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling before the crowd. Why was she in fear? Why was she trembling? Because she knows she just made this rabbi unclean. She should not have touched him. Yeah. But believing that he was the Messiah and that there was healing in his wings, she came and touched the fringes of his garment looking for healing. And what happened? Power went out from Jesus and healed her. Now, this is profound because before this in Mark, we've already seen that Jesus not only healed lepers, but he touched lepers. And in two occasions, actually touched lepers and then went to synagogue. <laughs> so... Obviously, the leprosy, the uncleanness of the lepers did not spread to Jesus, nor did this woman's uncleanness spread to him. So yeah, she he comes was wearing a mask, right? Like <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was all he well, he was double vaxxed, right? So <laughs> um, <laughs> jokes. So here's Jesus. Power comes out from him and heals this woman. She comes before him trembling when she realizes that he perceived it. 
But he actually tells her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And then he doesn't go in and cleanse. He is not unclean by this encounter, nor is he unclean by touching the lepers. Why? Because Jesus is beginning to show us, Mark is showing to, beginning to show us that what Jesus was showing was that in the new covenant, power flows in the opposite direction. Now life is contagious, not death. Now cleanness is contagious, not uncleanness. And then right after that, he goes in, in to Jairus' daughter. And it's interesting. So she's dead. She's in a room on her own. And it says that he actually goes in and he brings Peter, James, and John with him into this room. Now, first of all, there, there's your first problem. If you're in the room with a dead person, um, you're now unclean. Not only that, but Jesus, it, it, the text is very specific. He takes her by the hand. He touches her. And then he tells her to get up. And then he says, go get her something to eat. He's not made unclean by that. Life flows out from Jesus, just like it did with this woman with the issue of blood, and raises her to life. So then when you think about what happened at Easter, right? We just celebrated Easter Sunday. This is why one of my favorite verses, I can't generally get through an Easter Sunday without quoting uh, from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? That, <laughs> that you know, Aslan comes and says, you know, if the white witch had have known a, of a deeper magic, she would have known that if a righteous person stands in a traitor's stead, that the table itself would be cracked, right? And that, uh, that uh, death itself would begin to work backwards. Well, that's what happened when Jesus comes out of the tomb as a, as a new man, a new Adam, coming out of a womb-like tomb that had never been used in a garden on the eighth day, the first day of a new creation, he comes out and, and the entirety of the world has been changed. We believe that's the inauguration of the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus comes out resurrected from the dead. And I would say what happened in the intermediary time between his death and his resurrection, those three days, what happened? We say it in the Apostles' Creed. He descended into Hades. He proclaimed victory. And I would say, just poetically, he grabbed the bowels of the earth, and as he rose from the grave, he pulled the world inside out and, and brought the dead world back to life with him. And that's why now the world is spinning in the other direction. Death is working backwards. Now, under the new covenant, life is contagious, uh, cleanness is contagious, righteousness is contagious, and so then we are called as lights to go out into a dark world and bring light into darkness because the darkness can't overcome the light. The light overcomes darkness. So there's the principle, and how we apply this is that we can redeem things. This is why we bring Christmas trees into our, our house. This is why we, we put up crosses, which were a symbol of death and torture and Roman authority. But we've redeemed the symbol of the cross. We've redeemed the symbol of the everlasting Christmas tree, the evergreen tree. We've conquered the winter solstice with Christmas. We're called to go out and conquer, to pillage pagan libraries and pillage you know, the pagan world and bring all things into subjection to Christ, right? And so, so you look at like things like the internet, right? Yes, the internet is used for horrible things. Should we just abandon it? No, no, no. Christians are going to take that over. We don't destroy that. We don't look at things like, uh, I was just watching a baseball game the other day and they put uh, um, in, uh, in baseball, they, they had the pride day and so everybody's wearing the pride flags and stuff like that. And it's just like, okay, do we cancel the MLB? No, no, no. I want the MLB. <laughs> MLB is going to be part of the new Christendom and it's not going to be woke. I'll tell you that much because we look to conquer things and bring them into subjection to Christ and make them glorify God. Amen. So basically what you're saying, if I can Coles note it, yeah. into it. Too long didn't read. Because of the blood of Christ that we've been redeemed, made alive in him, the things we touch become holy. So when we sing Hillsong, even if it is occult and, and tainted by them, when we sing it, it becomes glorifying and holy. 
because we've we're the ones singing it because it's coming from us, like the power of Christ through us. Yes, because look at what Jesus did at Easter. He took the greatest weapon that the enemy had at his disposal. He went into the grave with it, death, and he wrestled it into submission. <laughs> and he, he broke death. He broke the greatest weapon that the enemy had. So when we take things that the enemy intended for evil and we take them and we redeem them and we bring them into submission to glorify Christ, I think that is bringing glory to God in an extraordinary way. So our willingness to sing Hillsong Still, even though a lot of our reformed and a lot of our allies would cancel them, yeah, our willingness to sing that is basically based on our post-millennial, um, <laughs> yeah, because we're taking look, victory over all yeah, of these things. Yeah, and I just want to say, look, I I get that you can you can say, oh, should we also redeem uh, pornography? Should we also redeem? Like, no, no, but we no, should no. redeem sex. Absolutely. Like, That's my point is that, yes, there is a limit to what can be redeemed for the glory of God. Absolutely. Some things are just enemies that need their neck broken under the foot of Christ. But some enemies like you and like I and like many others were rebels who were actually turned into allies. So there are things that we are to redeem. There are things that we are to destroy. And I think Christian maturity and discernment is not playing the culture's game of cancel culture and just throwing away everything that we believe is tainted. It's actually doing the hard work of figuring out what's redeemable and what isn't. Yeah, what's worth and it. What's worth it and going about doing it that yeah. way. Can I also say one last little thing? Please do. We would affirm that all of the Psalms are worth singing today because they're the inspired word. Yes. So if you're listening to your worship pastor or worship uh, people, get your church singing the, singing the Psalms. Email me if you need some tips on that. I've actually been learning how to do this yeah, uh, myself. It's job. not... It's not as hard as you think. One of the other thing parts is like, remember that when we, when we sing hymns, hymns are glorious. And some of those like mighty fortress, I hope we'll start, we're still singing that when my time expires, Mm -hmm. which could be soon anyway. But I mean, like (laughs) when your kids, grandkids are, are in the church, I hope we're still singing that song. But one of the things we got to remember is that like, there was hundreds of hymns that were written thousands that have disappeared because they were, God used them for a season. Churches used them for a season, but what's been left over has been sifted through and stood the test of time because they were worth it. You know what I mean? The lyrics are universal and they're, and they're true. So like in Christ alone is a song everybody thinks is a hymn, but it isn't. It's hymn like, but it's only like 30 or 40 years old. I expect that 500 years from now, we're probably still singing that song. You know what I mean? Because it's going to stand the test of time. So a lot of the songs we sing today, King of Kings, Mighty to Save, Our God Saves, whatever song you want to throw out. Most of these songs are are used for a season in right. time. And so like, it's okay if you sing it today and we don't sing it tomorrow yeah. because it can be useful today and not useful to the kingdom tomorrow because spiritual songs oftentimes are something that the spirit is using in a season of our church. So here's an example. There's that song, You Give and Take Away, You Give and Take yeah. Away. I don't think that's a song that's overly deep, but we just had some tragedies happen in our church. And I remember we, we sang that song and it landed different on that Sunday, that Sunday because we're singing about a truth that is applicable to our people at that time. But you know, I don't know if that's a song that six months from now or a year from now is going to be needed for us to sing the same. We might, it might come back. It might go. I'm just using that as an example. Well, And that, that goes to show like the subjectivity of the spirit of God at work within the heart of the worship leader. Like the worship leader, I don't think was aware of the family that lost their nephew in a pretty tragic way that Sunday. Um, And yet he, he chose that song. And this is where we, we, we just trust that the spirit of God works. I mean, our worship leaders are mature, godly people who pray and discern and figure out what the sermon's about and pick songs. And, 
God did that. That was good and that was glorious. And to, to be able to sing that when you've experienced loss uh, and to sing that and say, you know, blessed be his name. Isn't that blessed be his name? Yep. It's a good and a glorious thing. And so, and, and honestly, so I would just say those spiritual songs, like in a perfect world, local churches are actually writing their own spiritual songs. And I know you're, you're doing a great job. You've put a team together. We're, we're, we've introduced a couple of songs that we've written for our own congregation already and more are coming. And I do think that's a, a great place to go so you're not actually even relying on whether it's good bands like Ren Collective or bad bands like Hillsong or whatever. But that is ideal. But um, not every church is, is there. there. There are a lot of churches that have to rely on, on the music that's written by other people. And I think that we don't have to live in fear that the songs that we're picking are somehow going to taint the hearts of true believers who are worshiping God in spirit and truth. Amen. All right. Hope that helps. Remember, it's Chris at Crossroads. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Later. Cheers.